<clears throat> Thanks, Levi. And um, Levi is uh, right uh, about uh, talking a little bit about heaven, but uh, when uh, I uh, asked him to do this, I think there was... There was, I, uh, let me put it this way. He's not totally right because we had one of those little, okay, we're going to change directions with this sermon very late in the week. And, um, so we'll, we'll get to heaven maybe at the end, but, uh, there's really, I think we have some more really amazingly practical, uh, application and information about the right now as well. So I uh, appreciate Levi, you covering that part. And, uh, now we'll focus on, uh, what God would have for us, uh, right now and, and particularly having to do with worship. So if you, uh, have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 84, Psalm 84. And uh, I believe it's on page 626. If you're going to use one of the blue Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. And while you're turning there, I mean, it is so hot and humid, right? Even early this morning. And can I just do something real quick? If you are on the parking team and you are standing out there in your church clothes uh, so that we can find places to park, would you just either raise your hand or stand if you're able? Okay. And can we just thank you? I mean, come on. That is a tremendous service, especially for guests. If you're a guest with us, I'm sure that you were blessed by somebody telling you where you where you should park your car. And so I'm just really thankful for them. I saw them heading out with their vest this morning, and I was just like, I will be in the AC. Um, but I'm so thankful for you guys. So let's uh, let's look at Psalm 84 as we continue our summer in the Psalms. Hear now God's holy and true word. Psalm 84, starting in verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those who, whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts. Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm overwhelmed and... uh, just thinking about these things all week, Lord, uh, would you give me strength to get it out <laughs> so that uh, we can all 
just celebrate in how amazing you are and your grace and your glory uh, as we look at Psalm 84 and how it informs our understanding of one of your favorite things. Uh, would you would you bless us now and help us to to see the the majesty of Christ and uh, how sweet it is to know you and to have the unbelievable privilege to come into your courts. And use this time, Lord, to help us have a deeper and sweeter appreciation of worship as well as to be strengthened for our mission to make disciples. Help this to be a time when we grow and are enabled more and more to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Um, yeah, I, uh, this is interesting. I've been really, really thinking about the things that I saw in the scriptures this week and in, in Psalm 84, and it's just really got me right now, so just bear with me, please. Um, God is so gracious and so good. And like you see this psalm writer, or psalmist, as we say sometimes, and you see that he is, the, the things that he's saying about being in the temple ultimately are just beautiful and compelling. And uh, it's it's as if you want to know, like, you know, more about it, right? Like, why does he have this incredibly high view of going to the temple and going to worship, which is kind of the the experience, basically, that he's talking about? You know, what is it that is so powerful that you would talk about going to the temple and worshiping God in this way? And you almost ask, you know, like, is he crazy? I mean, he's really, really almost obsessed with uh, going to worship God. And what is so amazing is what you see in him is this really high view of God and then with that a really high view of going to the temple which is for worship. And so really we're talking about worship this morning and there is such a uh, a need for us as a church to understand uh, a few things that Psalm 84 points out about worship so that we can uh, experience uh, amazing things as we come together on Sunday mornings. Listen to this uh, from John Piper. I love this quote. He says, nothing makes God more supreme and more central than when a people are utterly persuaded that nothing... Not money or prestige or leisure or family or job or health or sports or toys or friends is going to bring satisfaction to their aching hearts besides God. This conviction breeds a people who passionately long for God on Sunday morning. They are not confused about why they are here. They do not see songs and prayers and sermons as mere traditions or mere duties. They see them as a means of getting to God or getting God to them for more of his fullness. Now let me just clarify there. He's not talking about getting to God as in salvation. He's talking about those who are redeemed, those who are saved by grace through faith, through worship on Sunday morning. We do these things to be really in God's presence. And to experience how amazing it is to be in his presence. And that's what we're seeing in the, in the psalmist here. 
is this incredible reaction and experience of uh, being in God's presence. And ultimately, we know that all things that we see in the Old Testament find their yes and amen, their fulfillment in Christ. And so we, when we worship, we want to have Christ-centered worship that exalts Christ as our King who has redeemed those who believe. And uh, and, and so as we focus uh, in on Psalm 84 this morning, this one major thing to take away would be that Christ-centered worship is essential for spiritual health and happiness okay huge thing for us as a church to be thinking about on a regular basis that our our spiritual health and our happiness in knowing christ is is, uh, so impacted by uh, regularly worshiping together in fact there's three times out of the 25 times that the word blessed appears in the psalms three of them are in this psalm so uh, we're going to talk about three things uh, re- regarding Christ-centered worship uh, that we see in this psalm. One, Christ-centered worship is in God's presence. Uh, number two, that it is impactful, meaning it has an impact that goes beyond just right now in this moment. Three, it is incomparable. And we'll talk about what that means as we go. So we're focusing on worship and Christ-centered worship. It's in God's presence. It's impactful. It's incomparable. Uh, keep your Bibles open. We're gonna, I want you to see these things as we cruise through this passage this morning. Uh, look at verses 1 through 4 first. Let's talk about being in God's presence. And here's a key thing for us to uh, put into our hearts. When we gather for worship, the single most important factor is not the music, the surroundings, or even the preaching. Rather, it is that when we gather for worship, we are in the presence of God. Okay, huge. Think about Psalm 95, 1 and 2, specifically verse 2. He says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. He's talking about when they would go to the temple to worship, they know that they're entering into God's presence. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 is saying to the Corinthian church, uh, 3.16, he says, do you not know that you all, it's plural, you all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you or in y'all. Okay, it's important that we recognize the plural there. And every most of us are familiar with a very well-known verse in Matthew 18 where Jesus says, wherever people are gathered in his name, he's there. Okay, so thinking about Being in God's presence, ultimately, that's what kicks everything off here. So it's huge. Okay, let's go through. Look at verse 1. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Now, before we think that he's actually talking about the temple itself, something he does here that's really helpful is he uses a Hebrew word that we translate into English as lovely, but what we can't see, unless we look at the way the word is used all through the Old Testament, is that almost every other time, That word appears in the Old Testament. It's about a person, not a place. And so what is it that's so amazing and lovely about the temple? It's that God is there. And he knows that when he goes there, he is in the presence of God. Just like when we come here, the New Testament tells us we are in the presence of God. Not because of the building, because we are together. Okay, so, and this being in the presence of God is so amazing. Look at verse 2. He aches for it. He says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living, to the living God. Now, so you can see that he is, if he's, if he's there thinking about it, or even if he's farther away and thinking about it, wherever he is when he's writing this, he knows that he just longs for that. He yearns to 
worship God and being in the presence of God. Interesting. The word faints. Look at the word faints in verse 2. My soul longs, yes, faints. That Hebrew word, if you look at what that means, it literally means to be completed. And, you know, it's looking in that and seeing that when we uh, understand the nuance of the use of that word, he's he's saying that my soul yearns to be in your presence, God, because when I am in your presence, I finally feel complete. I feel finished. I feel fulfilled. And think about this. Look at look at how he refers to his soul, his heart, his flesh. So this this is a, a full orbed completeness spiritually, uh, emotionally, physically. I mean, he is just what he's the picture he's drawing is absolutely amazing. And why? Why does he feel so complete? What is it that that is so amazing about being in the presence of God? Well, it's who God is and what he's like, which is what he gets to uh, next here in verse three. Look at this. Verse three, he says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Now he's he's using metaphors here. Okay, this is very intentional. He's not just distracted. It's not like he's saying, oh, God, I, I yearn to be in your presence. Oh, there's a bird. Okay, that's that's not what's going on here. He's very intentionally using these two birds because of what these two birds represent and symbolize in the ancient Jewish culture. Think about this. Okay, so in their culture, a sparrow was very symbolic of something with very little worth. You might remember in Matthew 10, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, are not two sparrows sold for a, anybody know it? Penny. Okay, so first he uses a sparrow, which is sort of a symbol of something that has little or no worth. And then the other thing, the other bird that he refers to is a swallow. Now, if you know anything about swallows, uh, they just never stop moving. Okay, so in this culture and in others too, the swallow was symbolic of restlessness. I mean, those things are crazy. Uh, we used to have swallows outside of our apartment. We lived up in Oviedo and they are just constantly moving and you're like ducking. I mean, they're just nonstop, right? And so, so this is a picture of restlessness. They're constantly in flight unless they're sleeping or nesting, which is what he's referring to here, that they make a nest. And so what is he saying? What he's saying, thinking about the sparrow representing, uh, worthless something, the swallow representing restlessness. What he's saying is the reason that he, he feels, he longs to be in God's presence to feel complete pleaded it's because when he is in god's presence two things that plague him are dealt with in decisive ways one the fact that a lot of times he feels pretty worthless ah but there's that sparrow that sparrow is welcome in your house and uh and i would imagine also there's a lot of times where he feels restless Oh, but there's that swallow, finally able to relax in your temple, finally able to take a break. So his the worthless little sparrow is welcome in this safe place. The restless little swallow is finally able to relax. This is what he's getting at. It's being in the presence of this gracious God. It, it attacks the feeling of worthlessness in his heart. It attacks the feeling of restlessness in his heart. And so no wonder, look at four. He just bursts out in a beatitude. 
which is a statement about those who are happy, those who are blessed. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. He's saying people who, who know these things about you, who will come into your presence, they are happy. Happy, remember, uh, blessed means happy or fulfilled, overflowing with joy. And so he's, he's celebrating what the impact of being in God's presence does to him. Now, here's the thing. There's, um, you've got to ask yourself, when you come to the worship service here or when you go to worship service anywhere, you know, is it, is it having an impact on you? And don't hear me saying that, you know, is it the most amazing thing you've ever experienced ever? That's not what I'm talking about. But there should be a difference between other things that we do and when we're here, and it all centers on our awareness of the fact that God is present with us. See, if we're not thinking about that, then it's not really going to have that big of impact on us. It's not going to do for us what uh, it's done for the psalmist. If you don't know, if you're not aware of something, you're not going to be very impacted by it. So I'll give you an example. I drove up to Atlanta uh, in, the, in the recent uh, couple weeks here, and um, drove all the way there, 474.9 miles, and um, most of that on highway. And the whole time, I was completely unaware that there was a major issue with the CV joint on the left side, front wheel, and then this happened. That's my sweet little innocent 2003 Accord. Never did anything wrong in its life. Um, so the tow truck, if you're listening online, it's a picture of my Accord and my front left wheel is almost 90 degrees facing the wrong direction. Um, so I, the, the tow truck guy comes and he's looking at it. And it was actually, we had a sweet little moment because he started saying, the Lord protected you. The Lord protected you. And I said, amen. But, you know, we talked about how if that had happened on any of these other miles, I probably would be dead. And then he asked me an interesting question. He said, did you know this was going to happen? And I said, yes, I thought I had about 500 mile window, so I thought I'd go to Atlanta. Um, I said, no. And what he meant was like, did I, did I, did I sense it? Was there anything going on with the car or something like that? And, and no, not really. Um, And I mean, think about it. If I had known, it would have been a very different journey, right? I either would have not gone or worn like every seatbelt in the car and a helmet or something like that, right? Because because that's what you do if you know about it. Now think about this. Because I had no clue that that was actually the case for my car, I just it that that factor had zero impact on my journey. I'm just bopping along, listening to a book on tape. Hope people don't look at me, right? Now think about this. When we are in worship, if we are not actually cognizantly thinking about the fact that we are in the presence of God, then it's not going to really have an impact on us. Listen to this. Don Whitney uh, says this. He says, worship often includes words and actions, but it goes beyond them to the focus uh, of the mind and heart. Worship is the God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It is being preoccupied with God. So no matter what you are saying or singing or doing at any moment, you are worshiping God only when you are focused on him and thinking of him. And so what he's getting at there is really 
It's a call. The scriptures really are the call for us to recognize that when we come and gather for corporate worship on a Sunday morning, we enter into the presence of God. Now, God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere at all times, but there's a special way in which he is present with us when we are together to worship him. And so to acknowledge that would be that as we are singing, we're thinking I'm singing to God. As we are praying, we're thinking I'm praying, we're praying to God. He's here. He's listening as we are confessing our sins and then being assured of his grace and his forgiveness through faith. We should be thinking I'm, I'm literally saying these things to God. Who is so gracious to be with us and to spend this time with us when we're listening to the sermon. You shouldn't be thinking, what is Matt saying to me? But literally, what is God saying to me through the preaching of his word? No matter who's preaching. What is God communicating to me? I'm in his presence, thinking about him, making him the focal point of all that we do in worship is huge. So according to the, the psalmist, then being in God's presence and knowing it really begins to impact uh, the time in between. That's what's so sweet about this. As we really commune and really feel that we are in his presence, it has a long-term effect uh, for the time in between worship services. Uh, look at verses 5 through 8. Let's talk about how Christ-centered worship is impactful. Ultimately, here's what we want to see. As our worship experience grows through an increased awareness of being in God's presence, the anticipation we feel about worshiping him again, uh, the anticipation we feel during the week impacts our lives. Let me show you what I mean. Look at uh, five through eight. Look at verse five. He says, blessed are those whose strength that is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now, again, thinking, remember, this is another use of the word blessed. So he's talking, this is, this is what happy people, this is, this is something that makes people happy, he's saying. Whose strength that is, strength is in you, and then in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Ultimately, what he's talking about, those highways are the roads that people would take to get to the temple. And so he's saying the people who want to be on those roads, who are looking forward, who are anticipating getting to the temple and being able to worship God in his presence, there's blessedness in that. There's a happiness that comes uh, through that. And for us, you just apply this to the Monday through Saturday, that we would be looking forward and anticipating, yes, when we gather together on this Sunday, this coming Sunday morning, that we will be in God's presence uh, and, and, and can feel that amazing completeness. Uh, and so what he says basically is there's three things. Uh, when we realize this and when we're focusing on this and anticipating uh, worshiping God in his presence again. Number one, we have a positive impact on others. Uh, look at verse six. He talks about going through the Valley of Baca and making it a place of springs. Uh, nobody's really sure what the Valley of Baca is. But based on what it says around it, the scholars are pretty certain that it had to be a very arid or dry place. And so the picture is uh, people bringing much needed water to a very dry and desert-like place. And that's sort of a metaphor for us being able to bring joy where there is sadness around us at work, in our neighborhood. So we can have a very positive impact on others. Uh, another thing, verse 7, he talks about going from strength to strength. He's talking about having strength in order to face the challenges that we experience that comes from the anticipation. Uh, number three, we have a king representing us. Uh, this is absolutely, this is the central point here. Now, it's so interesting. Look at verse eight. 
man. Verse 8. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield. O God, look at, look on the face of your anointed. Now, now shield is a, is a word that's, that kind of means protector and it's often referred to, to, or used to refer to the king. And then you, you know what anointed. That's the Hebrew word Messiah. Okay, so the chosen one. And now he, when he's actually praying this, he's surely probably thinking about, for the most part, the actual king of Israel at that time. That God would look upon the king of Israel because he had a special job. He would not only protect the people, but really represent the people. And then we fast forward the tape and we think about the cross and we think about the amazing reality of who our king is, the true king of kings and lord of lords. And we think that all through the week as we anticipate, we're remembering that when we show up, we get to talk about how we are represented by Christ. That we come here because of Christ. We are forgiven because of Christ. We have righteousness because of Christ. And so we can worship in spirit and truth and in freedom. Think about this. Go back to the um, the uh, the birds, the sparrow and the swallow. Uh, think about the sparrow. Nothing makes us feel more worthless than our sin, right? When we blow it. I mean, literally, as I'm studying this week, I caught myself. Uh, I, uh, I, I said some sort of harsh remark to my wife, which was sin and shouldn't have happened, and I repent. But I remember immediately thinking, I'm so worthless. Sound familiar? And what the gospel tells us is that in the week, we need to look forward to the fact that we're, we are worshiping a king who has redeemed us. And look at, look at again how he says it. He says, uh, uh, behold your shield, or be, I'm sorry, behold our shield. He's saying, look at our king, God. Look at our king. And when we say that, in the midst of failure, what we're saying is, God, look at our king. Look at Christ. Look at the work he did on the cross. Look at the fact that he's paid for my sin, removed it as far as the east is from the west. What an amazing reality that we walk and live represented by our protector king who died to pay for our sins. Think about that and how it obliterates our feelings of worthlessness. And then think about the swallow. What makes us feel restless? The number one thing that makes us feel restless is trying to be something Better or to earn something with God or to achieve something or I've got to do this. I've got to be that. I have to have this person's approval. We are, get, we get obsessed with trying to get righteousness. And it makes us restless. And the gospel tells us that Jesus has freely given us all the righteousness we could ever need through faith. And so therefore, we say as well, as we struggle with trying to earn our own righteousness, we need to say, look on the face of your anointed. God, look at, look at Jesus. For my righteousness, look at him. Because it is ours through faith. And therefore, as even during the week, as we continue to worship Christ on Sundays and, and, and in our family devotions and in, in our other group meetings as well. It's, it's huge, but you gotta, th- we have to think about the fact that we know that we are represented by someone else who's perfect and has paid our debt. And therefore, in the light of that, in the light of the gospel, our feelings of worthlessness and our feelings of restlessness melt away like ice cubes in an oven. So, here's something. 
As these phenomenal and transforming truths about God and his grace are the focal point of our worship service, they also impact us through the week. And here's something that we tend to think. We tend to think, i got to get Sunday right so I can get the rest of the week right. And it's backwards. The scriptures would say, no, get the week right so that you can get Sunday right. What I mean by that is anticipate all through the week. Look forward all through the week for that moment when we get to come together and are called to worship through the scriptures. So it's no wonder then, if the anticip- even the anticipation of being in the presence of God is going to have an impact on us. Uh, look at 10 through 12. Um, uh, it, it's, it's no wonder that he's talking about it being incomparable. Okay, incomparable. Uh, uh, look at uh, 10 through 12 and to realize this, nothing is better for our weary souls, spiritual health and happiness in God than being with God's people in God's presence in worship every week. Look at verse 10. He says, for a day in your courts, and again, in the courts of the Lord, he's not talking about just being in a certain place. He's talking about being where God is, where God said he would meet with his people, which today is right here as we gather. He says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Let that sink in. Here, he's not just, uh, he's not just, this is, you know, he's not just making this up or he's not just being nice. This is his belief. This is what he lives by. That being in the courts of the Lord, being in the presence of God for worship is better than doing anything else for any amount of time. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, think about this. Uh, you've probably heard this said before, and it's not necessarily wrong, but a lot of times um, this that word is handled a little bit um, different than what I saw as I was studying it. And a lot of times uh, I've heard uh, preachers or people say that uh, he's saying he'd rather, he, he would take it just kind of a, even a menial, you know, simple task um, in God's house than being out in the tents of the wicked. The only problem with that is um, the being a doorkeeper was actually a pretty significant job. In the temple. So I follow a couple scholars who uh, look at it a little differently and think that it's not so much about whether or not that job is important or not. It's about willingness even to be confined as opposed to free. This literal, uh, to literally translate that verse would be to say, I would rather be at the threshold. I'd rather be standing at the door. Okay, which is a way that they would refer to the people who had the job of being at the door, letting people in and out. And what he's saying, look at, look at this. What he's saying is that uh, uh, to be in God's presence is so incomparable with anything else, I would rather be confined to this one spot in this massive temple than to be able to run around free anywhere else in the world. He's saying it is absolutely incomparable. It's incomparable. There's nothing, nothing, no experience that's better for the human heart than to be in the presence of God under his grace through faith in Christ. 
Why? Because it is through our continued pursuit of him that we see more and more and more that verse 11, he is the Lord. God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good things. Does, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts. And there's that word one more time. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now, listen, let's just be straight up here. If this is true, if it really is incomparable to be worshiping God in his presence with a gathered body of believers, whether you're here or even if you're on vacation, that you would go somewhere where a a church is going to be faithful, faithfully worshiping God. If it's true that nothing is better for our souls and our sanctification than worship, then the number one takeaway we should have uh, this morning is that God is calling us to always be here to prioritize being in the worship service, to make it to, to say about it what the psalmist says about it. There's nothing better for me than to be in God's presence with God's people, worshiping him, being transformed by him, being reminded of the ways his grace obliterates our feelings of worthlessness and obliterates our feelings of restlessness because of what Christ has done for us. Let me I'll, I'll give you this illustration. Uh, anybody who has uh, done some exercising and working out knows... That physically, you just don't get fit if you work out every once in a while, right? If you are a person who can work out once or twice a year and you just are awesomely fit, don't tell me. I don't want to know you, okay? We can be friends in heaven or something, but for right now, zip it. That was a joke. If if that is you, I love you and I'm glad you're here. But for the most part... Think about it now. You know this, right? You know that there's no way the human body can be in good shape unless there's a regular routine of working out, exercise, and whatnot. And you also know that the more we're working out, the more we're physically healthy, the better we feel. And in the same way that you can't get physically fit working out occasionally, you cannot get spiritually happy and healthy worshiping occasionally. And I'm not here to beat up on you if you don't come every single week. I'm here to invite you. I'm here to say to you what God's word is saying. That regular continued pursuit of God through worship, gathered worship where we know we're in his presence, is the most important thing we could possibly be doing on a Sunday morning. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson nails it. Simple statement. Here's what he says. The single most important activity of your life is to worship God. Absolutely nails it. Now, I want to, I want, so I want to issue a challenge. I want to issue a challenge. And again, if you're, if you're, if you're a, an individual or a family that comes uh, less than weekly, I want you to know you're, that's actually becoming more normal. Uh, studies are showing that, uh, even for committed Christians, weekly worship attendance is, the frequency is dropping. It used to be between three and four times a month, meaning people would pretty much go every week. It's actually dropped to between two and three. Which means people are going to church less. Don't miss the fact that our country around us is falling apart. Okay? And rather, I want to challenge you. I want you to look at the words of Psalm 84. I want you to ask God to give you this obsession with Him and, and the, and the belief that that is, it'll, it'll come to us as we continue to worship Him. And I want to make, I want you to make the commitment that from September to December, that's like four months, I want you to be here every single week. If you're on vacation, go somewhere, uh, to a church that'll preach faithfully, preach the gospel and stick close to the Word. 
And I want you to see across those four months, if you're, if you're someone who doesn't go every week, be that person for four months. I promise you it'll change you. And for those of us who do come every week and every once in a while we wonder, maybe I should skip sometimes, hold strong. Hold strong because of the ongoing power in being in the presence of God. I promise that if we do this, if we if we stick to this, we're going to see more and more of us saying with the psalmist, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And then, now, Levi is right. Then, the beautiful thing is that all of these times together are little down payments en route to the day when we do enter into the courts of the Lord, into his full presence when Christ returns and we stand before him fully forgiven of all of our sins because of Christ, fully righteous because of Christ, all of our tears wiped away, all things made new. And we'll never, the one thing that will go away is that anticipation time. Because we'll be able to worship him in his presence all day, every day. Let's pray. Father, I, as much as anyone else in this room, Feel that my heart pushes away from the truth of your word. And so I repent for the times when I have not focused on you and not made myself aware of your presence in worship. I repent for not anticipating through the week this sweet meeting that you have always ordained for us. Would you bless us as a church as we seek to uh, have a high view of you that is coupled with a high view of worship? And would you just transform us for your glory and for our good and for the sake of the gospel reaching the nations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.